This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Morning. How was your summer? It's a summary question. I don't need the minutiae, right? I'm not asking you to start with June 1st, 6.30 a.m. I woke up for the fourth time to pee. And then I walked 10 feet across to my bathroom. No, I don't need that. I don't need a summary. Give me broad. Oh, pastor, it was awesome. We we took a trip. We went to this place. We saw these things. My my wife, she puts together these memory books, photo albums. This one's from 2015. This is one of the first ones. And when I look at these, they're just summaries. These aren't the details. This isn't June 1st, 2015. I woke up at. No, 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 no. It's just pictures of this particular one is when we went to uh, Virginia Beach. I was doing some seminary work there over the summer and we went with some family members. There's Lucas. He participated in a magic uh, magician came up, came up, did stuff on the stage, went to the zoo. It's like 110 degrees when we went to the zoo with sweats just dripping off of you. Remember those fountain things that like shoot up from the ground and like kids will run through them? You ever seen those? It's a little, little aquatic. I was running through them, little four-year-olds and I'm, please hit me with the fountain. It's just a summary. This one was from this year. This is 2022 Mohican Wilderness, our camping trip. It just, oh, it just does so much for my heart. Again, this isn't the entire summer, nor is this the entire trip. These are just the highlights, the summary of. If you really want to get the heart of our trip, here you can look at this book. We understand summary. We appreciate summary. They're helpful for keeping us anchored and focused on what matters most. We appreciate theological summary, right? The beginning of this year, I taught you a theological summary. Some call it the Apostles' Creed. For I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried, He descended to the dead. And on the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Is there more? Sure. You can do a deep dive on any of those points and various churches and traditions have kind of taken various aspects to this place or that place, but it's just a summary. It's a way to kind of stay anchored, very helpful. Uh, I kind of walk through that myself in my own devotional life each morning as I come to prayer. What are the things that I need to remember? God, Father Almighty, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, the connection that we have with the universal church, the connection that we have with the local church. Yeah, A theological summary can be very helpful. Prayer summary. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Are there other things that you can pray? Oh, yeah. You could take some of those principles and you could go deep on them. Forgive us our debts and we can unpack. Give us our daily bread and we can unpack. It's summary. Helps me stay focused. Helps me grasp what I need to remember and what I need to know. I say that because we've come to a summary. For 11 weeks, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And some of you are like, we are well aware how long we have been in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Well, the Apostle Paul now gives us a summary that, believe it or not, covers everything ahead of it. Like, well, why didn't we just do the summary? And then we could have done something else. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. If we can learn to live out of the place of that verse, we will be able to make love the summary of our life and what God wants to do in you personally, marriages, families, relationship with your neighbors. What does it mean that faith, hope, and love abide? These three. But the greatest of these is love. So why don't we unpack that together? We'll have some verses that'll be up on the screen at various points. And we'll have uh, some notes that you can fill out as we walk through things together. But let, let me just say some few things. What does it mean to say faith, hope, and love? Is that unique to the Apostle Paul? Is that unique to this chapter and this verse? Believe it or not, it's not just a summary of 1 Corinthians 13. It's also a summary of Paul's ministry as a whole. Let me give you an example. These aren't verses to be up on the screen, but just something to be mindful of. In 1 Thessalonians, which is one of the first letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, he had this to say in verse 2. Listen, see if you can find those three words. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? He's writing to a completely different church at a completely different time. But faith, hope, and love seem to be at the forefront of how the Apostle Paul processes obedient living in the Christian life. This is one of the first letters that we have that he wrote. Interesting enough, guess what you find if you go to one of the last letters he wrote? If you go to the book of Colossians, in the very beginning of Colossians, he has this to say, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus... And of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Faith, hope, and love. So let's get a good understanding for what those words mean. When I say the word faith, what's a, a good way to understand faith? Well, it's simple. It's, it's my devotion to what Jesus has done. It's my devotion to what Jesus has done. You don't have to write it down. I wrote it down for you already. 
Isn't that nice? Because we're kind of a, a, a serving kind of church. I already put it down for you in your notes. You don't have to write anything down. It's already there. What's faith? What's my devotion to what Jesus has done? Devotion. How many of you are devoted to something? Some of you have really lame lives and you're not devoted to anything whatsoever. It's just, just, just kind of floating around. No, how many of you are devoted to something? We're all kind of devoted to something, right? Could be to a person, could be a hobby, could be a sports team, God forgive you. I mean, it could be to any. You could, we're devoted, meaning what? Our life calibrates by that thing, by that person. We make decisions based on that. We spend based on that. We act based on that. We sleep based on that which we are devoted to. My faith is my devotion to what Jesus has done. It's past. Faith looks back. What is it that Jesus has done? It's my devotion to the great story. Meaning what? What's the great story? I've taught this before, but it can be a helpful reminder. How does the story begin? Well, it begins with a good creation. A lot of theologies start with bad. And that's okay. It's wrong. Because the story doesn't start with bad. Why? Because I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Meaning what? The story starts with good. God created a good creation. He is the source of life. Eden, good. The opening pages of the Bible is good. In fact, time and time and time again, what are we told about what God makes? And God created and it was good. The story starts with good. But then the story continues. And what was a good creation becomes infested with human treason and treachery. Deception, corruption, and brokenness happens fast. That's part of the story. It's part of your story. It's part of my story. Corporately, there is human treason. Individually, there's human treason. Corporately, there's corruption by sin and death. Individually, there's corruption by sin and death. And I cannot do anything to save myself, to redeem myself, to fix myself. It is that broken. But he's a good God which means the promise of restoration comes quickly. In fact, again and again and again in the story, you see God bringing about restoration, culminating in what? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, a delivering king, a good king. Jesus in his life, putting people back together again, relationally, physically, spiritually, High watermark of all of history. Jesus upon the cross. Why? For his sin? For his death? No, for mine, for yours. To bring about your deliverance and your restoration, your forgiveness, to conquer our sin and our death. And he rose again three days later. And he sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty and will come again to judge the living and the dead. But what he has done, I'm devoted to it. I'm devoted to that story. I let it shape what I do and how I do it. It's not just something I kind of read and it's not just something I kind of bowed a need to. I make it a, an all-consuming facet of my existence. 
The Apostle Paul kind of writes about this. A letter that I read a little bit from Colossians. Listen to some of the ways he talks about being devoted to faith. These are, just listen along. You can write it down and look at it a little bit later. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, listen to what he said. Just listen. See if you can key in on devotion. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Okay. Human corruption, treason, right? He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Delivering king, restoration, right? If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Isn't that interesting? Faith. You're to be devoted to it. In another place in that letter, in Colossians 2, verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Like you would walk with someone. In chapter 3, if then you have received and been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. My faith is to shape me. If I'm devoted to it, it affects me. And no one would be surprised to find out. Have you met Paul? Yeah, 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 I met Paul. He's devoted to his faith. You ain't kidding. You ain't kidding. Would that be said of you? When neighbors get together and coworkers get together, have you met? Oh, yeah devoted to their faith. You ain't kidding. Or does that have no point of reference for you? You don't know what faith is or to be devoted to it. In fact, that was your first time hearing the story. You're like, really? That changes things. Oh yeah, that changes things. Is that why you guys sing the way you sing? That's why we sing the way we sing. Is that why you guys act the way you act? That's why we act the way we act. If you don't know what it means to be devoted to faith, stick around. I have a story to tell you. Hope. Hope. What is hope in your notes? I wrote it down for you. I know it's been a long summer. It's been tough. Families, you're suffering. I've filled in for you already. You don't have to worry about it. Hope, my focus on what Jesus will do. My focus on what Jesus will do. Faith looks back. Hope looks forward. The follower of Jesus Christ doesn't ever need to get distracted, doesn't ever need to get lost because the follower of Jesus Christ always has a focus. There is always a pole star. There is always a compass pointing that even should we get off the way and do we get off the way, we can get back on again. Ah, I have a focus. I have a hope. It's what Jesus will do. 
So to continue the great story, because we're kind of in the middle of the great story, good creation, human treason and treachery, God's promise, a delivering king, into this beautiful chapter of restoration where God puts the pieces back together again. How many of you know what it means to have God put your pieces back together again? Isn't it wonderful? How many of you know what it means for God to continue to have to put your pieces back together again? Because you keep breaking them. Yeah, right? Yeah. God is gracious and God is good. He's kind. To be a part of a church is to be a part of a people where God is putting the broken pieces back together again. Knowing that there is a time of celebration where the good king returns. And we celebrate creation the way it was always meant to be. To hope is to keep that in front of you. What is God doing? He's putting the pieces back together again. After the first service, uh, Adam and I uh, were meeting uh, with a couple who were having a very difficult summer. And it's hard for there to be hope because it's in the midst of such disappointment and darkness because it seems like sin is creeping in and death is creeping in. And so we prayed that we would hold on to hope that Jesus is that he who began a good work in you would see it through to completion. We are holding on to hope what Jesus will do. If you have hope, that shapes your actions. It shapes your choices. If you're focused on it, it shapes where you walk and how you talk. My three sons start back to school this week. They know the days and the number of hours and the number of minutes until they have to go back to school. I know the number of days and the number of hours and the number of minutes and seconds till they go back to school. Because that event lies in the future and it has weight to it, it shapes some of the things that we've been doing as a family. There have been conversations, hey, do you have genes? Do the jeans fit you? Do you have clothes? Do you need a shirt? How about shoes? How are your shoes? Do you have a backpack? I don't have a backpack. How do you not have a backpack? Where did your backpack go? I don't know. I have no backpack anymore. Why don't you go look in for your closet? Found my backpack. Yes, thank you. I thought you would find your backpack. Lunchbox. Do you have a lunchbox? Because this is coming up and it's a focus, it shapes conversations. It shapes actions. It shapes decisions. To have hope means that I focus on what Jesus will do. Do you have a hope in Jesus? Some of you do. Some of you, again, have no idea of what I speak, and that's okay. I'm glad that you're here. Let me share something with you when church is over. Faith, hope, and love. Now this one you can probably do on your own. I pray so if you've been walking with me for 11 weeks. On the very bottom of your notes, what is love? Agape. Well, that's easy, Paul. It's my devotion to others. Right? That's what agape means. Write that down in your notes. My devotion to others. If you're watching online, find a piece of paper or the message guide. You can write that down yourself. On the very bottom of your page, my devotion to others. Agape. That's what that word means. The whole chapter is about that one idea. 
that you live your life without a devotion to others, without God-like love, it's empty. First three chapters we spent, you know, introducing this series. If your words don't have love, your actions don't have love, your sacrifices don't have love, your life is empty. There's an emptiness to it. It yields nothing. We talked about some of the, the actions of love. Again, this is just summary, just to review. It's patient. It waits patiently for others. It shows kindness. My family has to be completely furious with me because I say those two words all the time. Was that patient? Was it kind? I tell you, you put those two words in front of you, if you hold yourself accountable to just those two, that'll change your parenting. That'll change your marriage. That'll change your devotion on a lot of different levels. Did I walk patiently with that person? Did I show kindness to that person? And then you can layer on all those other words in the chapter that we've gone through because love is not arrogant or boastful or rude or insist on its own way. It doesn't burn with envy. It does not rejoice in what is wrong, but celebrates what's good. We've talked about all those words. You can go back through the series at whoishouseontherock.com. You can pick up and review on those. He says, these three abide. Faith, hope, and love. Devotion to others. Remain, maybe your translation might say. Meaning when it's all said and done, these three are the what's still on the table. Everything else should clear away, should wash away. Because the Apostle Paul has been working through this chapter to clear the table. Because there are some things that like to linger. One of them is sin. There's no particular place in your notes to put this, but it might be helpful to write it down. Sin likes to be on the table. Sin likes to be at play. Sin, my participation in the death and the corruption of the world. To sin is to participate in my corruption. To make things worse. Sin is to participate in the corruption of God's good creation. To violate God's intention. And it is easy. And sometimes it's a lot of fun. But what does the Apostle Paul say? That, that love does not rejoice in what's wrong. It doesn't rejoice in how people are corrupted or participate in that corruption. In fact, sinfulness and love are quite exclusive. To do the one is to not do the other. To have a habit of sin is to ha not have a habit of God-like love. And if love is my priority, then I will get sin off the table as quickly as possible. In fact, wasn't that the great demonstration of God? In his great demonstration of love, what was he doing? Getting sin off the table. Another that can be on the table Self. Oh, <laughs> sneaky little thing you are. 
it's not a sight gag. I really just wanted it to stay. <laughs> Self. This was what the whole chapter was, was to confront self. The Corinthian church and their culture was all about self. Glorification of self. Eros is the word where we get erotic, self-serving, self-worshipping, me language. If you catch yourself using the me word a lot, you battle with a love of self. Look at me, recognize me, serve me. That's not agape, that's eros. The Corinthian culture was dominated by self. People would build monuments to themselves. We can do a similar thing, right? Social media, it can become a monument to self. Look at me. Recognize my body. Look at my habits. Give me three words that come to mind when you think of me. That was easy. Vain. Arrogant. My wife takes my phone away. No, they asked. Vain. Arrogant. Sinful. Oh, to be saturated by self is very, very easy in our culture. We're often even encouraged to worship self, self-help, self-love. But the follower of Jesus Christ has what we call disinterest. I'm not interested in myself. I'm here for you. A man who hangs on the cross is not interested in himself. I did see this on social media, which I thought was interesting, and I liked it. It says, you can't compete with me. I want you to win. I like that. You can't compete with me because I want you to win. So, yeah. Self does not like to be taken off the table. But love labors to do so. Uh, something else that's on the table. And, and walk with me for a second as, as we discuss it, please. Issues. Da. Maybe you remember last week, if you could be with us last week. We read it but maybe you didn't see it. There's a section in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13 where he talks about prophecy will end and tongues will end and, and knowledge will end. He's highlighting a specific issue that existed in that church. Spiritual gifts, which is something that God blesses to all of his followers so that they can build and work in his good creation, had become a point of contention and division. They were using spiritual gifts to glorify self. And so he's specifically addressing that issue. Now, he doesn't write to all the churches about this. It was specific to that church. Hey, can we talk about that issue? Because it's becoming a point of division. It's becoming a point of unlovingness. But lots of issues can rise up and do that, can it? 
And maybe some already come to your mind. Because of this issue, it's difficult to love. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Maybe it's politics. Politics get in the way. Someone's political bent or political holdings or political platform makes you difficult to love or makes it difficult for you to love them. It's an issue that's come up. Maybe history, their history, maybe it's your history, has become an issue. Theology. Maybe they believe this and you don't. Or maybe you believe this and they struggle with that. So it's an issue that's on the table that makes love difficult to manifest in your relationship. Or simple preferences. I like McDonald's. Jerk. I like Burger King. Heretic. Whatever. Whatever. It's just an issue. I'm not saying it's not even an important issue. I'm saying the issue shouldn't be the issue. And it's on the table and it makes love and faith and hope very difficult. But how do we clear these things off to let room for love to rule and reign? To deal with sin, to deal with self, to deal with the issues. If you remember from the beginning of this series, why we called this whole treatment flow, is because in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul teaches his apprentice this. He says, our ministry, love, flows from, issues from, three things. A sincere faith, a pure heart, and a good conscience. If you were with me in the beginning, I held out that long tube. Imagine, if you will, God pouring into the one through onto somebody else, right? Love to flow through, water flowing through. What? A sincere faith, a pure heart, and a good conscience. So let's talk about these three, and then does that help us? To get sin off the table means I take my heart seriously. The purity of my heart seriously. In the same way that a pipe can get clogged and corroded and limit the capacity for water to flow through, I want to get sin off the table, which means I'm walking in a spirit of repentance before God. Openness and honesty before God. I have a brother or a sister that I go, will you pray for me? I'm struggling with this. I make repentance a big deal. My heart a big deal. The shape and the concern of my heart a big deal. And as I deal with the purity of my heart and the holiness of Jesus and his grace working in me, by his grace I'm not what I used to be. Amen. Well, then we can get sin off the table. What about self? That one's tricky. That one's hard, isn't it? Especially in a culture that's dominated by self-love and self-help. But for love to flow through, it starts with who? It starts with my faith in God. He's the priority. He's the focus. If I keep him elevated, it keeps me humble where I'm supposed to be. So I remind myself, for I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. A true and authentic faith is a part of my devotion and part of my focus. And as I do that, the Holy Spirit is able to do what? Get self off the table. 
Because part of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Love. And that leaves what? The issues. A sincere faith, a pure heart, a good conscience. These are review things. If it's all new to you, that's okay. Uh, Go back and listen to the series. It'll make a lot of sense. Summary. A good conscience. In the beginning, I said some of us have a weak conscience, which really limits our capacity to care for others because the issues get in the way. Because we like to love people that are like us. But what happens to loving someone who's not like us, who votes differently or cares differently or acts differently? There's issues on the table. Well, the issues become the issues, which cut off our capacity to care. So as we grow and our conscience becomes healthy, this is a compromise truth. Please, some of you have come up to me. Well, you're just asking us to compromise our convictions. No, I'm asking you to love people like Jesus. What, because you had it all together when Jesus died for you? No. Just love like Jesus. That means love is the issue, not the issue. So as God strengthens my conscience, as I grow in spiritual maturity, no matter what it might be. For the kingdom of God is not about what you eat and what you drink. As we grow, then we get the issues off the table. And what are we left with? These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, what does he say? Is Love. What does that mean to say that it's the greatest? All right, let's see if we can uh, unpack that. Love qualifies the other two. It qualifies the other two. To illustrate, how many of you are football fans? It's okay. This is a safe place. Some of you hands went up too fast. You have idols. We'll deal with that later. How many of you are football fans? Own it. It's okay. I'm not going to. You're fine. Hold them up. Matt, put your hand up. I know. Okay. <laughs> Hold it up. It's okay. I'm a football fan. I'm a football. I'm not. But for you, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. You're a football fan. Are you all football fans of the same team? Why? Because something needs to qualify football fan. So if I put a game on, will all of you show up to watch it and cheer the same way? No. Why? Because something qualifies football fan. How many of you are Browns fans? Matt? Adam, see, you got, you got one more in this service. No, right behind you, you got a brother. You got a brother, brother. There you go. There's three. Well done. Okay, wherever two or three are gathered, there God is. I don't know if he's then that missed or not, but still. Okay. Because <laughs> it's not a football fan. I'm a Browns football fan. Something is qualifying football fan. Yeah. How many of you are OSU fans? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you are Steelers fans? I love it. Yeah, Jules, really? I didn't know that. All right, yeah, here we go. Something qualifies that. Okay. Let's take it from another angle. How many of you would say that uh, politics shapes a part of your worldview? That you're committed to a certain political worldview and how you vote and how you make decisions? It's okay. So how many of you say, yeah, you know, politics, yeah, it's on the table for me. Yeah, okay, that's okay. Do you all vote the same way? Nope, you don't. I know that. That's why I get paid well. Because there's something that qualifies 
that political aspect of your life. Now, here's the tension. Which one's better? When your faith is informed by your political party? Or when your political choices are informed by your faith? Which one's better? To be a Christian Republican or a Republican Christian? Which one's better? To be a, a Christian Democrat or a Democratic Christian? To see how important the qualifier is? My faith qualifies my political commitments. Okay. Love qualifies the other two. Meaning, in your notes, it's not faith. It's having a loving faith. A loving faith. So next to the word faith, I'd write in the word loving. And that changes the definition a little bit. It means that my devotion to others and what Jesus has done for them. To fill in the spaces. A loving faith is my devotion to others and what Jesus has done for them them. We'll leave that up on the screen so you can write that down. Summer of 2020, um, we're three or four months into the pandemic, three or four months to figuring out what's right and what's wrong. What does it mean to be in lockdown? What does it mean to have church, not have church? And the pastoral crisis that came upon my shoulders. Paul, what do you do for a church that, that you and the Spirit started and is now in the middle of a world that doesn't know what's up and what's down? And began to study and research and pray. And the Spirit prompted me to develop a class on discipleship. And last year I took a group of people for nine months through that. And I'm taking another group of people through that. Simply plan A. Plan A. We follow Jesus by helping people follow Jesus. That's what discipleship is. I follow Jesus. How? By helping other people follow Jesus. Stephanie, what's plan B? There is no plan B. There is no plan B. If you're a follower of Jesus, you follow Jesus by helping people follow Jesus. That means my faith must become a loving faith. I help people immerse in the story of God. My devotion is to walking alongside others and helping them walk in a good creation, to wrestle with human treason and sinfulness, to hold on to promise, to see a delivering king, to seek restoration and celebration of all that God does. That's faith. It's a loving faith. It's not hope. It's a loving hope. So to fill in my focus on others and what Jesus will do for them. My focus is on others and what Jesus will do for them. To help others focus. This is what we do here. On Sunday morning, we recalibrate. Because through the course of the week, we get a little distracted, don't we? We lose our way a little bit, don't we? So to come back to the cross and to come back to Jesus' work, to come back to him as the priority, 
We help one another focus. Hey, let's stay focused. It's easier to get off the path. Hey, let's stay focused. As I'm praying with and walking alongside a couple who's struggling because kids have gone off on their own way. Let's hold on to hope. Let's hold on to hope. He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. We got a rough diagnosis. Hey, let's hold on to hope. Hey, our finances took a tank. That's okay, let's hold on to hope. Hope in Jesus, not hope in finances, not hope in the checkbook, not hope in my employer, not hope in my football team, not, not hope in my spouse, not hope in sex, not hope in alcohol. My hope is in Jesus. That's where my hope is. Let's hope in that. Can we hope in that? And clear the table of sin and self and the issues so that love, faith, and hope remain. To work for personal restoration and corporate restoration. Yeah. It's not faith, it's a loving faith. It's not hope, it's a loving hope. My focus is on others and what Jesus will do for them. Elders at House on the Rock, this is your calling. I speak to Aaron, I speak to Doug, I speak to Adam. You are to hold this up for us. This is what an elder does. Practices a loving faith. A loving hope. If you are a ministry leader, a life group leader, a team lead, uh, you have other people following you. I put this in front of you. Your faith is to be a loving faith. Your hope is to be a loving hope. Parents, grandparents. I saw my therapist this last week and she said I need to teach more on parenting because parents have a hard go. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Parents and grandparents, you are to immerse your children in what Jesus has done and what he will do. That's your calling. That's your calling. That means your faith must be a loving faith. Your hope must be a loving hope. Immerse them, baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would the album of your summer, if God, the good God, had a publishing house and mailed you your summer album, would it be saturated with family pictures of Jesus in your kids? Because you were immersing them in the story. You were immersing them in hope. You were immersing them in what Jesus has done and Jesus will do. Would those be the pictures that we would find? Or would the Apostle Paul say, sorry, that was an empty summer. But he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. 
So maybe for you, it wasn't loving. It was a lot of sin. It was a lot of self and a lot of issues. Thanks be to God, the cross is always open. And repentance is always appropriate. And grace always washes over. If you open yourself up to the flow. Let's learn to clear the table. Let's learn to walk in a newness of life. Make my job easy. Would you do that for me, please? Meaning what? I will bury some of you. Some of you sooner than others. Make my job easy. Leave behind a story of life that's saturated with faith and hope and love. One that celebrates what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do in your commitment to immerse people in that life. Make my job easy when I come to your funeral as we sing the praises of God's grace. For these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you for sharing your time with us and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you wanna send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless. God bless.